As a church, have we become more concerned with building our own kingdom instead of God's? You're listening to Lawn Chair Larry from our series, We Can't Stay Here. Today we are looking at Jesus' final words to his disciples, where he revealed the key for reaching the world with the gospel is found in sending, not in gathering. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. I want to encourage you, okay, as much as possible to be here every single Sunday in July. And maybe you're like, oh, you're taken aback. I know, it's crazy. Most of the people that attend our church, the average attendance is once or twice a month. But I'm going to encourage you to come all five Sundays, okay? Because we're going to be sharing some stuff. I'm going to be sharing some stuff from Scripture that I, I believe, to be honest with you, is, is really um, foundational and, and and, and big vision stuff for our church. Today, I'm just going to be kind of laying out uh, the preface for the book, if you will. Matthew 28 is where we're going to start. Verse 16. Here we go. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Say Galilee. Galilee. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, and here this is important. Underline this in your Bibles. Uh, it says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a powerful statement, is it not? To say that all authority has been given to you on heaven and on earth is a strong statement. And I would also say this. Whatever follows this statement is going to be important. Would you agree? If I go to my children and I say, all authority has been given to me, go clean your room. They're going to clean their room because they're going to be like, oh, wow, dad's got all authority. If I say, all authority has been given unto me, go change the cat. You, you get my point, right? Um, whatever I'm going to say after is going to be important. Likewise, whatever Jesus is going to say here must be important. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then verse 19, he says, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus apply all authority to? All authority in heaven and on earth, in the galaxy, in the universe. If he could say anything here, one of the greatest things he could ever say. And what does he say? He says, go. Go. Go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and they're standing up on this rock over, overlooking this very, very ungodly city. In, in fact, um, I've been there and it's really interesting. They, they worshiped this God that, that somewhat looked like a goat playing a flute um, dancing. It was a really strange thing to see. And uh, my wife and I were were there a number of years ago, and you could see the engravings in the caves, and you could see the engravings in the building. It's kind of creepy. And Jesus shares this, uh, this, this idea, this, this truth with his disciples overlooking this very pagan city. He says this, I tell you, you are Peter. Peter's one of the disciples. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, now, understand that when he's speaking, he is speaking from a top of a rock overlooking an ungodly and dark city. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And then notice what he says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of us want to be a part of a church that the gates of hell 
Do not prevail against it. I think that that is what we're called to do. And here, here's the thing. I think we've, oh man, I can't get to this. This is too much. Um, I think this is later on, but I just got to say, it. I think that we've settled for just being a church and not being a church that prevails and not being a church that prevails, certainly not against the gates of hell. But Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and my church. We found it on this rock and on this rock. And because of this church, the gates of hell will be shut down. That's the kind of church that Jesus Christ desires. Would you agree? Can we agree on that? Yes or no? So the type of church that Jesus Christ desires is a prevailing church. The type of church that Jesus Christ desires is a strong church, is a fighting church. It's not a church that sits back and slinks back and, and allows uh, culture and society to influence and dictate it. No, rather it influences culture. Rather, it is the influencer. It prevails. It prevails against the gates of hell. A couple years ago, <clears throat> in the mid-90s, uh, sharp turn here. <laughs> a couple years ago, in the mid-90s, there, there was this guy uh, named Larry. And all good stories start with a man named Larry. I don't know if you realize that or not. But his name was Larry Walters. Larry was this, this regular dude who woke up one day and told his friends that he wanted to see his neighborhood from a different vantage point. He wanted to see it from a different view. So this is what Larry did. True story. You can choose to believe me or not. It's okay. I'm usually pretty honest up here. Um, Larry went and bought a lawn chair. Larry went and bought some long ropes. Larry went and bought uh, about 20 weather balloons. Larry went and bought a walkie-talkie, a BB gun, and a six-pack of beer. <laughs> this is what Larry did. And Larry's idea was that he was going to sit in this lawn chair, tie a rope to a truck, and he was also going to tie these weather balloons to his lawn chair, and they were going to lift him up and give him a different vantage point. Okay? So what happened was this. It worked. How crazy is that? Larry sits in his lawn chair. He's got a six-pack of beer. He's got his BB gun. He's got glasses, and he's got, so we can see, he's got, um, he's got a walkie-talkie, and this thing actually takes off. Well, here's what happened. It actually happened too well. The, the rope connecting Larry to the truck snapped, and like a rocket, Larry shot up over 1,000 feet into the clouds. Now, what happened next is pretty amazing. He kept going higher and higher. Now, if you are in a lawn chair going up into basically outer space, you've got a rifle and a six-pack of beer, and you're Larry, what do you do? You crack open the six-pack. <laughs> and this is what he did. He drank all of them, and he passed out. Next, what you hear is air traffic control calling in and saying, uh, we've got an unidentified flying object. And then they actually said, it looks to be a man in a lawn chair with a rifle. And so what they actually did in this rescue mission that Chuck Norris would be very proud of, they lassoed this guy, they brought him back down to earth, and they gave him a very large fine from obstructing airspace. Now, the news channel came and interviewed Larry and asked him some very, you know, deep, prodding questions like, Larry, um, Larry, were you, were you scared? And Larry was like, yes, I was terrified. Larry said some other things too, but because we're in church, we'll just leave it at, yes, oh yes, I was scared, right? 
Larry, would you ever do this again? No, I would never, ever in my life ever do this again. And then she asked him, Larry, why did you do this? And he said this. He said, I was bored. <laughs> that was his answer. I was bored. And I wanted to see uh, my, 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 my neighborhood from a different viewpoint. Out of all the things that his girlfriend could have asked him, and demanded, like not the fact that he unexpectedly was shooting up into the clouds. Like, be careful, don't fall off. She said, you got to come back. You forgot your glasses. <laughs> and he says, well, I've got my other pair. I'm fine. I'm heading to Marineland or whatever it was that he said. I feel like, and maybe you can, maybe you agree with this. I feel like a lot of Christians in churches feel the same way as Larry. They're bored. We're bored especially with church. We're just sitting around, afflicted with an overwhelming feeling that, that, that we're supposed to be doing something, right? That there's some meaningful mission that we're supposed to be a part of, but, but we can't quite get our mind around what that mission actually is. And so meantime, we, we show up to church and we try to pay attention. We, we try to give faithfully, investing in life change and tithing. And, and in the meantime, we wonder if when we get to heaven, we're going to be rebuked by God for failing to do whatever it is that God wanted us to do. We feel like we're supposed to be doing something in the mission of God, but we don't quite know what it is. And many people go to churches where, where they hear that Jesus is building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against them. But they don't see themselves or their church prevailing against anything, much less the gates of hell. Most churches just seem to be getting by, right? Many people can't even remember a single, the last time a single adult convert took place. When they, they can't even remember the last time a single person met Jesus in their church. And they definitely can't remember a time when their story intersected with someone else's story, resulting in someone making the, the, the cross from, from darkness to light and meeting Jesus. In fact, study after study shows that, that most Christians have never shared their faith. Most indicating that somewhere around 90% of evangelicals have never shared their faith outside of their own family. Kind of makes you wonder how we really get uh, away with using the term evangelical, doesn't it? If we're not evangelizing whatsoever. Many times, uh, many churches have a difficulty even maintaining any type of ground, much less storming something that, that, say, that belongs to Satan. Gates are supposed to be things that we storm. Gates are supposed to be uh, 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 they're, they're defensive ramparts that we bring an offense against. Prevailing against the, the, the gates of hell does not keep mean keeping Satan out of our backyards and building an ark and sailing off into the ocean and slinking away with fear. Amen? We, we are supposed to be a church that prevails. Churches are supposed to, but, but we're seeing churches not doing that. In fact, we're seeing churches doing the opposite of that. In fact, according to a recent LifeWay research study, in the next seven years, over 55,000 churches will shut their doors for good. 55,000 churches. A number of those who attend a church on the weekend in the USA within the next few years is projected to drop from 17% on a weekend to 14%. 
more. Uh, uh, only 20% of all churches in the United States right now currently are growing. And of the 20% of churches that are growing, statistically speaking, only 1% of those 20% are growing based on conversion. That means this. Only 1% of the churches in America are growing because people are meeting Jesus. 19% of that 20% of churches that are growing, the other ones aren't, 19% are growing based off of the 55,000 churches that are dying every seven years or just shuffling Christians back and forth. Don't you think that these two problems, believers that don't know how to effectively disciple others and the gradually shrinking church in the West have to do with each other somehow? Don't you think that the fact that we don't share our faith or maybe don't know how to, how to share our faith and the fact that church is, is disappearing in America, don't you think that those things have to do with each other? Yes or no? So the matter is, very few pastors, very few church leaders are, seeing, are raising up disciple-making leaders. We're just not. And it's not our primary objective. We, we measure success by size. Why do we do this? Because we're Americans. We like big things. We like things big. Amen? Yeah? Come on. Um, this is why McDonald's can offer a supersize. And every American's like, yeah. This is why there's actually an attraction to go see the world's largest ball of yarn. And they make money. How is it possible? Because we live in America. We like big things. We, we measure things by size. But when we do this, when we measure things by size, when we measure a success by size, we neglect the one thing that can propel the church forward into the next generation and to the ends of the earth. And here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. We need to become spirit-filled disciple-making disciples. Spirit-filled disciple-making disciples. Spirit-filled, say it with me, Spirit-filled, disciple-making disciples. Say it one more time. Spirit-filled. I believe that we need a complete fundamental shift in how we think about the mission each of us are called to live out in the lives, our own personal lives, and also in our church. And I want to try to illustrate this for you. It's kind of a tough thing to illustrate, um, but I want to try to illustrate for you what, what this exactly means. How many of us have ever been on a cruise before? Show of hands, show of hands. How many of us love going on cruises? Show of hands. You know, I don't understand you. I don't. I would be anxious the entire time. I saw the movie Titanic. I know what happens on a cruise, right? And uh, if it's, by the way, if it's me or some girl fighting for that piece of wood, I'm sorry, Rose, you're dying. Like, <laughs> your love will go on. Like, you are, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm clinging to that necklace, pulling myself up. Um, I'm just joking. No, I'm not. Um, recently, I read that they actually rebuilt the Titanic. Did you see this? Titanic 2.0. And they're like, we are offering tickets, you know, for the first ocean cruise of the new Titanic, the exact replica. And I'm like, if it's the exact replica, I'm probably not going to buy tickets. Now, if you upgraded some things, maybe. But the last time it didn't go, Yeah. I think a lot of Christians view church like a cruise liner. Now hang with me. We view church like a cruise liner. A cruise liner, a Christian cruise liner, offering Christians luxuries for the whole family, such as sports, entertainment, childcare services, and business networking. 
We show up to church, Christians show up to this cruise liner, this church, and, and they ask only, can this church improve my religious quality of life? Does this church have good family ministry facilities? Does the preacher preach funny, yet serious, time-conscious messages that meet my felt needs? Do I like the music? Now, if the church ever ceases to cater to their preferences, well, there are plenty other ships in the harbor. In fact, often uh, we get involved with three or four of them at once. After all, the music is great on Cruise Liner A. Our children really enjoy the youth program on Cruise Liner B. And we do the fellowship and most, most of our Bible study with friends on Cruise Liner C. Occasionally we pick up that podcast from the angry young pastor down the road who tells the funny stories. Other Christians believe their church to be more like a battleship. And maybe something manly kind of arises inside of us. Maybe we have a man grunt. Can I hear you give me just a man grunt once? Let me hear you. Yeah. Uh, some of the women that responded with that sound, uh, I'm a little scared, to be honest with you. Just to be honest with you. Yeah. No, we, a lot of people view their church like, like a battleship. The church is made for mission. And its success should be seen in how loudly and how dramatically it fights. And so we, we hear and we see people in the road loudly proclaiming their stance on issues because we're a battleship. We're strong. Now, this is, this is definitely better than a cruise liner. Don't get me wrong. However, it implies that it's the church as an institution, okay? Not as a people. Church as an institution that does most of the fighting. That means your role, the role of people who attend, the, the role of people who call a church their home, their role primarily is as a church to pay the pastor to find the targets and fire the guns each Sunday, each week, as they gather to watch. They see the programs, services, and ministries of the church as the primary instruments of mission. What I would like to suggest is a third metaphor. What I would like to suggest is something. Is something <clears throat> what I would like to suggest is an aircraft carrier. Anybody seen an aircraft carrier? We've all seen those. We've all hung out with our grandparents and watched the old war movies, and we see the aircraft carriers pulling into a bay. And like battleships, aircraft carriers engage. They engage in battle, but not in the same way. Aircraft carriers equip planes to carry the battle elsewhere. That's the big difference. The battleship rolls up into the bay, rolls up into the middle of the battle, starts shooting its guns. Not the aircraft carrier. The aircraft carrier hangs just outside the fray and equips the planes to go into the battle. And then they drop the bombs, they drop the, uh, the supplies, and then they circle back and they come and they land on the aircraft carrier for what reason? to be filled up and fueled up again to go back into the battle. Church, we must become an aircraft carrier. We are not a battleship. We are certainly not a cruise liner. We are a people, we are a church that sends its people into battle, into war. And I'll say this, churches that want to prevail against the gates of hell must begin seeing themselves like aircraft carriers. Likewise, church covenant, we must begin seeing ourselves like an aircraft carrier. The people in our church, you, I love you. I, I do. I mean that. But here's the truth, man. 
if we are going to reach our community, our, our, our world, you are going to have to learn how to share your faith without me by your side. You are going to have to begin ministries outside of our church. You are going to have to begin Bible studies outside of this church. You are going to have to plant churches in places in our world where churches don't exist. This is what it looks like to be an aircraft carrier. We want to load you up and send you out. We must become a leadership factory. We must become a discipleship factory. We must become a sending agency of sorts that equips you to take the battle to the enemy. Now, if you remember, I began laying this foundation a few months ago. Um, and, and even though that I know that you remember every sermon I preach and diligently take notes and go home and meditate over them with your family. I, I know, I know you each do that. I know. I'm just going to remind you what I was talking about. <laughs> Um, the foundation that I began laying was this idea. We as a church need a new metric for success. We need a new, metrics for, uh, we need a new metric for success beyond size. Um, and I would say to evaluate something's success, you have to first understand its function. Like to understand if it's successful, you have to know what it's designed to do, right? Does that make sense? Case in point, um, if I had a stick of dynamite, which would be scary for you. But if I had a stick of dynamite and we're outside and I take the dynamite and I, I light it and I throw it up into the air, let's say I threw it 500 feet in the air, which would be pretty extreme, but let's just say I did that. And the dynamite explodes. Was that dynamite successful? Well, in one case, in one way, yes, because it did what it was designed to do. It exploded. It, it went bang. And people probably for five or six miles around gathered around to, to look up into the air and, because they heard this explosion. But the fact of the matter is after this thing blew up, after this thing went bang, people might still be standing around for a couple minutes looking to see what that sound was. But largely the explosion's over. Everything's gone. The only thing that's really left is the, the faint whiff of gunpowder and a couple confused bystanders. But if, but if you were to take that same stick of dynamite and, and burrow it into the rock face of a mountain, light it, you would have a different type of success, wouldn't you? Because now when you light this thing, once where there was a mountain, now there's a gaping hole. That's a different metric for success for the dynamite. Both went bang, both exploded, but now once where there was a mountain, now there is a hole. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. We as a church, our metric for success, we must become less concerned with the large Sunday morning explosion and more concerned with blowing a hole in the lostness and the darkness of this world during the week. That's what we must do. It's not that we don't care about the Sunday morning bang. No, we want excellence in worship. We want excellence in children's ministry. We're going to continue to seek to provide an amazing Christ-centered worship experience with our kids and our, and our small group and, and all, these, all these things. We want them. It, can just not only, it can't just be the only thing we focus on. Filling up seats cannot be the metric of success for a church. If drawing crowds was the metric of sustained success in ministry, then Jesus was a failure. You say, well, I thought he drew crowds. He did. 
He drew crowds of people. Scripture tells us that he drew thousands in the Gospels, thousands and thousands. And not only did he draw thousands of crowds to hear him talk about God, but he also raised them from the dead. He healed them. He fed them, gave them life, performed miracles. And you say, well, what's the point? My point is this. Where were those crowds of people when Jesus was crucified? If drawing a crowd is the metric of sustained success in a church, where were the thousands of people that Jesus healed when he was nailed to a cross? Where were the thousands of people that Jesus fed when Jesus was murdered on a cross? They weren't there. Crowds are fickle. You know who was there? A few disciples. The people that Jesus had poured his life into. The people that Jesus had poured his blood, sweat, tears, prayer into. They were the ones who carried out the gospel after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so this is the kind of hard right that we're going to take as a church. This is, this is what we're going to do. Our vision and our mission as a church has always been to, to seek and save what? The lost. To seek and save the lost. And, and listen, I, I mean, this is kind of selfish because, to be honest with you, this is my personal why. This is my reason. This is my reason. I'm not being prideful. It's just, it's, it's what drives me. I, I promise you, I wake up in the morning and I long to see people meet Jesus Christ. I, I think about it. I think about how, how can we do this better? How can we do this in a, in, a unique why, in a unique way? This is why we planted Covenant Church to reach people. This is why just a few short years ago, a, a small group of people, my wife and I and, and uh, our little guy, I've got a picture up here for you. Just Noah, there's Noah. We didn't, we didn't really have any other kids. We quit our jobs, we sold our homes and we moved to Grove City to plant a church. Why do we do that? Because we wanted to see people meet Jesus. So it's frustrating for me when, 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 when my personal why comes under attack or better stated, my method of why, my, 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 my method of going about accomplishing my why is under personal attack. Let me explain what I mean. Simply put, we have had tremendous success as a church plant. We have. We've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people meet Jesus Christ. Let's just think about that. We've seen hundreds of people meet Jesus Equally, we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people be baptized. I, I believe that our worship is great, our sea life structure, our children's ministry. God has blessed us and shown us his favor. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And yet, I can't help but wonder, are we actually achieving what we set out to achieve? Or could we do it better? Is there a better way to go about seeking and saving the lost to the fullest extent? And I think that we've been on the right path, church. I do, but I, but I also think that we have stopped short of greatness. And I can't take that. Can you? Can you settle for being good? When you know greatness is right around the corner, can you settle with being okay? Sure, we could just have church as normal. We could have you show up, and then we could have you be plugged into a small group and just go on with life as normal. And, and for most Christians, this is probably going to be their church experience anyway. But, but I think that God has called us to do not good things, but great things. You know why I think that? Because scripture tells us that Jesus' church is prevailing over the gates of hell. I want to be a part of something great, church. Don't you? I didn't give my life to something that was going to be good. I gave my life to something that was going to be great. 
That's why I'm here. And I believe that's why you're here as well. Because you want to belong to something great. Not great because it has your name attached to it, but great because it hoists up the name of Jesus Christ above all things and sees men and women and children alike come to meet him for the furthering of the gospel in his kingdom. Amen? This is what we are here for. Amen? That's what we're here for. So, it, like, I love you, but if this is just a social club, like, don't, don't leave. Like, we love you. Just understand that that's not the metric for success for me or for us as a church. It's not about seeding capacity. It's about sending capacity. Out of anything that Jesus could have said after he said, all authority has been given to me, what does he say? He says, go, go. And too many Christians stay. You need to go. We can't stay here. You can't stay here. Now, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be explaining exactly what this means. And i got to be honest with you, as a pastor, like I always like to say things like, we're going to confidently march into, I'm scared. I'm terrified over this. I, I am. I've prayed and fasted and uh, if I were a stronger man, I'd tell you that I cried a little bit. I'm just, just saying, like, all those things took place as we started asking these questions, like, could we be doing what we're doing better? And so next week, we're going to look at the plan. And here's what I want to tell you. Like, I, I want you to be here. But understand this. Like, I'm not going to tell you God's will for your life. Now, you show up next week. Don't expect me to tell you God's will for your life. In fact, just don't expect, like, me to lead you into what God's will is for your life at all. Do you know Why? I don't need to tell you God's will for your life because God's will for your life was never lost. Second Peter says this in chapter three. It says this in verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. Or our version said the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Read this with me. Come on. Not wishing that what? Any should perish, but that all should reach what? Say that word one more time. Say that word nice and loud one more time. You know what that means? That's God's will for your life. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to read a book about it. You don't have to download a podcast about it. It's right there. God's desire, God's will is that none should perish, but that all should know Jesus. That is his will for your life. So I'm not going to spend time trying to help you figure out what God's will is for your life. Rather, what you need to discover is how God's plan plays out in your life. That's his will. What's God's plan? Oh, a lot of teachers in here. The goal of your job as a Christian and being a teacher is not primarily to teach. Don't stop teaching. God puts you there to be a missionary in your school. The goal of you being a student is not just to graduate. Please graduate. It's to be a missionary in your context. If you're a doctor, the only reason you're there as a Christian, it's not just to heal people. Don't stop, especially if it's me coming. You're supposed to be a missionary there. Do you get my point? Go! Go! Blow a hole in the mountain of lostness in our world through the week. This is the church that God has called us to be. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be terrifying. There's going to be a lot of stretching. There's going to be a lot of, of growing. I promise, you, I promise you that. 
But this, these are dynamic, exciting days for us as a church. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, We Can't Stay Here, a Covenant Church. We hope you were impacted by this message today. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing here in this ministry, feel free to give online at covenantchurch.us forward slash give.